Good evening. Happy Wednesday. Happy Valentine's Day to all of you, those of you that celebrate it. Uh, look at all of you having your date night at church tonight, you know, coming out. Uh, look at all the money you're saving, too. Even Chick-fil-A is like 50 bucks for two people now. Uh, I don't know what it is. No, it's not that bad, but it feels that bad. Uh, I, I, we have three daughters, and, you know, there's like a, about five restaurants from like fast food to kind of like, you know, waiter waitress type place that I kind of have known the price for the last decade, and and I always had a mental number in my head. If I go here, this is the target, and then all of a sudden, last couple of years, that number's changed dramatically. So uh, if you're here tonight, enjoy your free night out here. Uh, we're not serving you any food or chocolate that I'm aware of, but. Uh, but at least, uh, at least the date night is free, and uh, and hopefully the word will feed you. So that uh, you got that going for you. But uh, good to see all of you tonight. And um, uh, just a cup. I know that Pastor Trevor just mentioned. Um, by the way, the, the teens that they are eating food and stuff tonight, right? They have a party, and the middle school kids have a party, and so they're all looking forward to that. But uh, but um, I know he mentioned the men's thing, but I want to reiterate it. So. And by the way, I know I got an email that the, the, the Sunday thing was, uh, I, there must have been a, like a reverse on that already. So, um, but at any rate, uh, Saturday, as he mentioned, 9 a.m. to 11 a.m., and, and I know that you know, some people will have conflicts, but if you don't have a conflict, if your own, only conflict is why I like to sleep way in, you'd better be sleeping like a teenager if this is too late, but, um, <laughs> or too early, uh, but um, if you don't have a conflict, and you can come out, come out. Um, I'll be sharing a devotion and a mini message, if you will. I'd, I'd love to give you the title, but you've got to come out uh, to hear it. And I really believe that God is one that he put on my heart. We'll be looking at a very famous father in the Bible, a uh, very famous father in the Bible, and, um, and a lesson that we can learn that took place in his life. And so we'll, uh, we'll have a good time of fellowship and food and then I'll share that. And as uh, Pastor Trevor mentioned, we'll definitely talk about uh, the new guys that are taking over, leading our men's ministry, and some really kind of exciting things and what we're looking forward to God doing and growing us as disciples. So uh, come on out, invite somebody else. If they, if, if they don't even go here, if they would just want to come, uh, sometimes it's easier to get a, men to come, a man to come to that than even maybe the Sunday service or something like that. So, uh, But anyway, just wanted to in. Uh, just kind of add that emphasis. Please come out and sign up too. Uh, it's five dollars on on the site. If you don't have five dollars, we'll, we'll you're free. So we'll take care of that. But if you can do that, we'd appreciate it. Um, but other than that, you know, it's good to see you guys on a Wednesday night. I was thinking uh, just as we were worshiping, and I love that last song that uh, Gary was playing. Um, when I before I ever became a full-time pastor, I used to travel a lot, and, um, and I was thinking of all the times that on a Wednesday night, I'd be in another state, and I would find usually a Calvary Chapel, but not always. So one time I went to Dr. Tony Evans' church in Dallas, Texas, and, and, um, and, and had a chance to sit there on a Wednesday night and hear him in person. I'd listened to him on the radio so many times, and I was, it was kind of cool to say, and I even got some unsaved colleagues. I couldn't get them to go anywhere, but I, I got them to go to... Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship that Wednesday night uh, in Dallas, and and uh, but all the times on a Wednesday night, and I know that a lot of people, uh, you know, maybe their jobs uh, they can't go on a Wednesday night, but if you can, 
uh, it, it is a refreshing thing. And even when I was out of town, I really enjoyed, and matter of fact, I enjoyed going to hear other pastors and other churches uh, in, in other states if I was out of town. Uh, but now I'm almost always in town on a Wednesday night, but I won't be next Wednesday. So uh, next Wednesday, Pastor Trevor will be, no, yes, Pastor Trevor Sharon next Wednesday. Yes, I got that right. Pastor Trevor Sharon next Wednesday and the following Sunday. I'll be here this Sunday and we'll continue the book of Acts, but next Wednesday, Pastor Trevor will be in the pulpit. I, me and Sarah will be in Houston, Texas, uh, where I have been for a few years uh, promising uh, John Samar that I would come and visit Ananias' house and the ministry uh, headquarters that are there. He just got back from the Middle East, and uh, he, I had to time it with him being in the country, because he's out of the country a lot, and being in Houston. Uh, my wife has a break uh, from her teaching, uh, you know, kindergartners and that, and so we, she has a fall, uh, winter, yeah, winter break uh, next week, and so we, we got it time there, so I'll be there uh, for that Sunday and through the following, that Wednesday through the following Sunday, and my niece's uh, husband plays worship at an all-Spanish-speaking church in Houston, and I met Pastor Rogelio, and I'll be there on that Sunday with them, and then I'll be back. Uh, so, but anyway, next Wednesday, Pastor Trevor will be sharing, and then I'll jump right back into Joshua the week after that, or the Wednesday after that. So, just you know, we get to launch it tonight, take a quick break, and straight back in the following Wednesday. Uh, but John is excited. Matter of fact, when I told him, John, I finally booked the flights, he said, it's about time. So uh, he's been wanting uh, me to come there. And, and this is just before he is going to be on the Voice of the Martyrs worldwide telecast with Stephen Curtis Chapman. And uh, so it's kind of really cool to, to be there with him and, and, and pray in advance of that. It's only like a week or two after that, right? So maybe even less than two weeks. Uh, with that, turn with me to Joshua chapter 1, just to kind of let you know what's going on. So... Joshua chapter 1. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 9. We're really going to just, uh, for the sake of time tonight, both of an introduction to this book as well as uh, just to kind of set the table in this first chapter, uh, we'll be just studying verses 1 through 6. But I want to read verses 1 through 9 because obviously the context of 1 through 9, uh, 6 kind of leads off uh, a key portion of this um, verse 6 through 9. Uh, but we'll read verses 1 through 9, and then next week, when Pastor Trevor shares, I don't know what he's sharing on, but the week after that, uh, I'll cover the whole rest of the first chapter. So tonight, let's read verses 1 through 9, but we'll really study verses 1 through 6. Uh, starting in verse 1, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the way to the land, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea, towards the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage for this people you shall divide for this people for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers 
to give them. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Let's pray again. Father, we just now open your word. We're so thankful for the encouragement of your word, for the, uh, Lord, the direction, for the instruction, for the commands of your word, for the power of your word, Lord, uh, that can give us courage that we just don't have, Lord, that can give us strength uh, that comes supernaturally uh, through the spoken word, through the written word, and through the presence of your spirit that lives within us. Lord, we ask now that you would remove every distraction of this week, this day. Maybe it's been a hectic day. I know for me at times it has been. I'm sure everyone in here. But Lord, as we gather, may we just find rest at your feet. May you just wash uh, our hearts and our minds with your word. May it uh, have a cleansing work. May it have an encouraging work, a convicting work, a strengthening work. And we ask, Lord, uh, for your anointing. I pray for your anointing. I could never do this without your help and your strength. We pray, Lord, that we would draw near to Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. After 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, a season that was the direct result of unbelief, of grumbling, of complaining, and resistance to the will of God. By the way, America is all of those things right now. Every single one of them. A lot of that's in the church, obviously, as well. But not in everyone, because there's always a remnant. There's always a minority. But the majority of the adults that came out of Egypt uh, died there in the wilderness. And after this long 40-year period, God was preparing Israel for a new season. Aren't you glad for new seasons? I mean, that, that God does give joy in the morning. There are new seasons. In our lives... We have all been guilty, everyone in this room, I'm certain of it. We've all been guilty at times of stunting our own growth, of prolonging unfruitful or chastening seasons due to our own attitudes, uh, our refusal just to simply obey the Lord. But if we truly are the people of God, uh, by faith and through grace, and thank God for His grace, we looked at that on Sunday, He will stir us to move on and to take new steps of faith and obedience, which will bring new victories and deeper appreciation for the God who saved us. The book of Joshua is first and foremost about Israel. We all understand that, right? It is about the nation of Israel. Uh, You will sometimes hear uh, some of these television pastors and preachers, they will apply things way out of context. Uh, There's application, but sometimes they will not just have it as application. They'll have it as, this was written to the United States. Now, first and foremost, this is about Israel. But on the other hand, because there is application all throughout the Old Testament, 
There's a lot to learn and to apply in our own lives. That's why we teach Genesis to Revelation. We believe the whole Bible, the whole council has things for us to apply. And praise God, as he was with Israel, and we know that he was, he will be with us. He is with us. As he led them, he will lead us. As he went before them, he will go before us. For he is faithful. If you're taking notes, you see the title tonight. The Lord your God is with you. Anyway, the series title up there, but uh, chapter one here to start at least, at least part one of chapter one. The Lord your God is with you. I want to start with a little background uh, on this important book, and maybe this is new information. Maybe it's things you've read before, depending on if you've read some Warren Wearsby book on Joshua, or you've read uh, different commentaries. But uh, this is the sixth book in the Bible. It's also the sixth book in the Hebrew Bible. And a lot of times the Hebrew Bible is not lined up with our modern Christian Bible. In this case it is. They're both the sixth book. It's a very transitional, pivotal book. It is the first of what we call the 12 historical books of the Old Testament. There's the 12 of them listed, uh, the 12 historical books. Now, they're not the only books in the Old Testament that contain historical accounts. Isaiah has a lot. Jeremiah has a lot. The first five books, the Pentateuch, have a lot of historical accounts. Uh, but uh, they are laid out as fully historical because they are specifically historical to this progression of Israel from the Exodus all the way through <clears throat> the even returning from captivity. Uh, but the 12 historical books, they most specifically refer to Israel's history. <clears throat> and these 12 historical books, they focus on five, uh, of not just Joshua, but I'm talking about of the 12. If you take these 12 historical books, the 12 of them together, they focus on five major themes. So Joshua begins the historical catalog, if you will, uh, with the conquest and settling of Canaan. That's what we'll look at as we go through the book of Joshua. But you can see the other four that are uh, prominent themes, uh, the move from tribal rule uh, to the kings, which of course was very, uh, God knew in his providence, but remember he was disappointed that Israel wanted to move in that direction. The dividing of Israel into two separate kingdoms, and that was uh, a heartbreaking thing, and, and still that legacy exists today. God's going to have to bring all that back together in the millennium reign of Christ. Uh, the loss of sovereignty when Israel no longer had its own sovereignty. They were carried off uh, as slaves or, or captives into Babylon. And then finally the return of captivity uh, to the promised land. So those are the five major themes across those 12 historical books. Um, the period also includes the building of the temple, the destruction of the temple, and the rebuilding of the temple. All that takes place in those 12 books. Building it, seeing it destroyed, and seeing it rebuilt uh, later in the book of Ezra. Joshua himself is most likely the author of this book. And it's 24 chapters uh, begin with Joshua assuming the role as Israel's leader just after the death of Moses. And it closes with the death of Joshua at 110 years of age. That's a good healthy life, right? He dies at 110, Moses was 120. Uh, the book of Joshua was mo most likely written uh, between 1405 and 1385 B.C. Uh, and it's possible that an assistant of Joshua, such as the high, or maybe even the high priest himself, added the closing works, because he certainly couldn't write about his own death 
uh, in the 24th chapter. So he wrote, uh, we believe, the majority of it all the way up to the beginning of chapter 24 there, and probably either one of his assistants, perhaps the high priest himself, wrote the closing chapter. The name Joshua, and many of you probably know this, we talk about this sometimes uh, at the Christmas season, we're talking about the name of Jesus, but the name Joshua means the Lord saves, or the Lord is salvation, uh, which etymologically corresponds to the names of, of the name of Jesus in the New Testament. So you have Ye, uh, Yehoshua, uh, Joshua versus Yeshua, Jesus, and um, Jesus appears to Joshua. When we get to chapter 5 and 6, Jesus appears to Joshua in what we call a Christophany. So it's a pre-incarnation appearance of Jesus. So before he's ever incarnated, he appears to Joshua as the commander of the Lord. And we'll see that in chapter uh, 5 and 6. The primary theme of the book, it's listed as number one on the screen. The primary theme of the book is the faithfulness of God to fulfill his promises and uh, the related work of helping us as people. So uh, if God didn't fulfill his promises, we have no hope, nor would Israel, and we need God's help to fulfill the promises and what, what role we play in him fulfilling, we need his help. So, But it's ultimately the faithfulness of God. And then the second prominent theme is that obedience, uh, which requires faith and courage um, because of the commands of God, it always requires us to have trust in God. So uh, obedience to God requires trust in God, and uh, th- that will be a big, big uh, necessity to us taking steps of faith and courage. And then, then lastly, the, the third theme, uh, disobedience um, leads to disaster, delays, disappointments, uh, you name it, setbacks, disobedience to God. Israel is ripe with many instances of disobedience to God, and they roll back down the hill. You ever seen this? And, and then they have to get rolled back up the hill. Uh, but you and I have little, hopefully... Now that we have the Holy Spirit, uh, we, we, we kind of like this as a, and, and kind of moving in a trend line up because we're not on a, we, we wish that every day we just kind of soared to the next level, but we kind of go like that. But we shouldn't be going like this and this and this. Does that make sense? And Israel did that, that their history. That's it. And that's why the millennium reign still awaits for them to finally fulfill their calling as a nation for a thousand years. Uh, this was the starting point that should have uh, that should have even uh, got them all the way to the river Euphrates. We'll look at some of these things uh, uh, tonight as well. Last uh, last bit of background um, this evening: uh, as there were miracles done uh, through Moses by Moses uh, under the power of God, of course, there were miracles that will be done and were done through Joshua as well. Uh, each fulfilling their ministry and God giving miracles. Now this is the case with a number of the prophets. The prophets uh, themselves, uh, we see uh, different prophets have these mighty miracles as well. The apostles in the first century, they also displayed these miracles of God. And in certain dispensations of time and in certain new beginnings, especially where the scriptures were being written. So 
Here we have a book that's being written. It wasn't just, so the miracles correspond with the writing of the book of Joshua. The miracles corresponding with the writing of the book of Acts. And it's not the only time. I mean, there's times that that were the passages were written where there wasn't miracles necessarily, but uh, but they often corresponded. They punctuated what God was doing, and the miracles themselves punctuating the witness of God, which would then become the word of God, and also punctuated his ordination of either a new command, a new season, a servant he had just raised up, whether like Elisha taking over for Elijah, or uh, in this case Joshua taking over for Moses, uh, a specific blessing, uh, a period of time. Also judgment. Miracles could be poured out in uh, a time of judgment, uh, or just a need, a specific need, like someone needed to be raised from the dead, uh, which was both a need but also punctuated uh, the work of the apostles, for example, in the book of Acts. So uh, Joshua himself will uh, be an instrument that God will do some miracles through, some of which you uh, might remember in Sunday school, uh, like the sun standing still, things like that. And you're like, how, how can the sun stand still? Things like that. So we'll look at some of these things uh, as we go through. But all these things unequivocally, show, unequivocally showing that the hand of God was behind what was taking place, that no man could manufacture the things that God would do that were so mighty and so evident. Just as they were in Egypt, they will be in the land of Canaan. That the power of God was not only proclaimed, because Israel was proclaiming that they had the true and living God. Israel was saying, our God is the real God. Your gods are just wood and stone and gold and whatever it may be. Uh, but not only proclaiming the power of God, but it was presented to the nations in these supernatural works. And so nobody be, would be within any, with any excuse. Uh, but all of this proved that God, as the creator of all things, is above all things. Uh, so if he wants to stop the solar system, he can stop the solar system. Uh, and unlike the false gods who can't do any of these things, but God displayed his omnipotence then. And then today we don't see generally, and I, there are miracles that are still taking place. I mean, I've heard uh, people, especially in foreign nations where they've seen incredible miracles, and I know that these are godly men and women who um, absolutely are telling exactly what they saw. And uh, some of us, even in this country, we've seen things that we know that was a miracle of God. Uh, but generally speaking, you know, we don't see the things that, that, uh, that were done uh, in the scriptures. We don't see the Red Sea parting, for example. We don't see the sun standing still. Uh, we haven't seen anyone walk on water like Jesus and Peter. Uh, but today, and a big reason for that, is we now have the written Word of God from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, and the Word of God is equal in power. Now this is hard for us to believe, but the Word of God is equal in power to anything God has ever done in the past. Does that make sense? And the, and the greatest evidence is the changed lives. Many, many millions of people have been saved by the power of the Word of God. And eternity is a lot more important than even the sun standing still. Eternity is a lot more important than the Red Sea to being divided. So these kind of things... Uh, today we have the Word of God, and as we look back, um, we can read about them as if we were standing there. And if you believe them, then they're just as amazing to you now as if you were there. Does that make sense? That's because we're people of faith. I believe when we get to heaven, this is just, I have no way of knowing this, but I believe that the Bible will come to life and God will show us things that he did in the past. They are like, can we see it? I read about it hundreds of times can we see it and you know that i think there'll be things that god will reveal to us 
uh, that'll be amazing. But we, we know these things took place, and they are amazing, and they should have been. They should have been the kind of evidence that kept Israel on the path, but guess what? That didn't happen. And uh, many people today are guilty of having all this truth, and they still kind of throw it to the wayside and go back to a dog returning to its own vomit, as the scriptures say. Why would you go back that when you actually have the real deal? Uh, verse 1, so with our time uh, remaining, again, we want to cover verses 1 through 6. And I just wanted to read verses 7 through 9 as well to see it in context, and we'll pick it up uh, next, not next Wednesday, but the Wednesday after. I'll pick it up with verse 6. I'll reread verse 6, which will be the last verse we'll cover, and I'll read verses 6 through 9, and then we'll cover the, rent the end of the chapter uh, uh, two Wednesdays from now. Back to verse 1. So Moses, it says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, uh, Moses had just died. The Lord had taken him. And it, uh, just a little bit of background, even on Moses' death, the Lord, when Moses died, the Lord had taken him and buried him in a valley in Moab. Now this is an amazing thing. As best we can tell, literally the invisible hand of God takes Moses and buries him somewhere. No one knows to this day where he was buried in the valley of Moab. Nebo faces the Jordan River, and you look straight across from Mount Nebo in modern-day Jordan, and you're looking back towards Jerusalem. But in a valley there in Moab, uh, God buried Moses. Only God knows where he buried him. Although according to the book of Jude, and many of you, that little tiny book just before Revelation, if you've read the book of Jude, um, Satan actually, this is cool because the Old Testament tells us that God buried Moses in that valley and no one knew where, not even Joshua knew where God buried Moses. No, no one knew where his, his body was. Uh, but it tells us in the book of Jude that Satan contended with Michael the archangel over Moses' body. So there was this battle between Satan and Michael over the body of Moses. I can tell you who won that battle. <laughs> it wasn't Satan. Uh, but he said, the Lord rebuke you. And that ended it right there. So as soon as he said, the Lord rebuke you, it was over. The body was taken by Michael the archangel. And, uh, but uh, this may relate uh, the fact that Moses' body was hidden and no one knew but God where it was, although Michael knew, because <laughs> God sent Michael uh, to collect it, the body at some, at some level. Um, it may relate to Moses being later one of the two witnesses in the book of Revelation. We don't know, but that's certainly a possibility. But at any rate, as I mentioned, Moses lived to be 120 years of age, and Joshua was called to be the one to take Moses' office. Uh, but notice the first description of both Moses and Joshua it says, Moses, the servant of the Lord, and Joshua, the servant of Moses. Um, both of these men, the first description of Moses and Joshua, not prophet, not elder, not leader, not bishop, not patriarch, not chief, not ruler, not commander. No, both men are described as servants. Servants. Don't you wish our leaders today were Public servants. That title has been way <laughs> drugged through the mud now, isn't it? Like uh, public uh, thieves or something like that, but, uh, but not servant. Uh, but these men really were servants, and, and they did far greater things than our leaders could ever think of doing, and yet they were, they were, they were servants of the Lord. Uh, of course, 
If it says Joshua, the servant of Moses, we know he was serving the Lord by serving Moses. But their lives were about serving. Uh, the giving of themselves. That's what a servant, when you do it voluntarily, you're not enslaved uh, against your will. You decide, I want to be a servant of the Lord. It's uh, to give yourself, and they gave themselves, they gave their lives, serving God while serving others. By the way, serving others can drain you. Even if you're just a mom with sick kids, and there's a lot of moms right now with sick kids in Chesterfield County and all over, and uh, but serving others can drain you, and the longer you serve other people, it can even leave you jaded, because when you serve people, you'd be surprised how many of them are not thankful for all the service you did towards them down the line. You're like, well, I did all of this, and then they just walked out of my life? Unless it can leave you drained and jaded, unless you serve God as your source of serving others. That's the only way it won't drain you or jade you. You have to serve God as the source of serving others. Um, Moses, <laughs> they wanted to stone him. They were convinced they had a bat. They had one of the greatest leaders the world has ever seen, and they, they wanted to trade him in. But he served God, and he interceded on, that, on their behalf. Uh, but Joshua faithfully served Moses as his assistant for many years, and now he was being raised up to fill Moses' shoes. Another important lesson in God's economy, you cannot be an effective leader unless you've first been a humble follower. Joshua was a humble follower of Moses. Timothy was a humble follower of Paul. Elisha was a humble follower of Elijah. And on and on. All the apostles were humble followers of Jesus. Then they became uh, the leaders of the early church. You, in other words, you have to have a submissive spirit. You have to have a submissive spirit. God doesn't put men... And what you know, we see this in our country, you cannot pe put people into power if they don't have a submissive spirit. You get tyranny. But if they have a submissive spirit, they're ultimately submissive to God, and then they actually see people as not less than them, but just different roles, different places. Verse 2... Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. At this point in Israel's history, God raises up Joshua. Uh, at this point, this is amazing, at this point Joshua is approaching 90 years of age. How's that for retirement? He's approaching 90 and God says, I've got a big job for you. Remember this I've been talking about for 400 years, the promised land, you're the guy at nearly 90. Moses took his office at 80. Joshua's almost 10 years older, taking the same office that Moses originally took to lead the people. Joshua was born into slavery in Egypt. Did you guys know that? He was born in Egypt, born into slavery in Egypt. Uh, but he had seen God deliver the entire nation from bondage, the whole nation out in the wilderness, and then through the Dead Sea, and then, of course, those 40 years. And along with Caleb, and Caleb's going to obviously show up uh, in this book. Caleb, who was one of the, they were to get to, together, they were two of the 12 spies. 
uh, that went in and spied out the promised land that Moses sent them in to look all over the land and come back with a report on the land, on its fruitfulness, on what they could expect that God was giving them. Uh, but uh, along with Caleb, he was one of the two spies that 40 years earlier, so 40 years earlier than this point right here, uh, him and Caleb were the only two that believed by faith that God could give them all the armies of Canaan into their hands. Uh, Caleb and Joshua were like, they're big, they're mighty, there's giants, no big deal. God took out Pharaoh, he'll take them out with no problem. And here it is 40 years later, and here's the cool thing, he still believes this. He still believes God can do it. And that's why he's the one chosen. That's not the only reason, obviously God has many reasons, but it's one of the reasons he still believes that they can take the land if God is with them. In fact, only he and Caleb remain among their peers. The other ten spies died in the wilderness, along with everybody else that was an adult over the age of 20. They all, the Bible says they're carcasses. You don't want to be called a carcass. Uh, if, that, if that term is applied to you, bad things have happened in your life. Uh, but they said their carcasses fell in the wilderness. And, uh, but God had rewarded their faith, and so Joshua had the perspective. Perspective is a really good thing uh, when you walk with the Lord for many years and you have a godly perspective. Joshua had the perspective of both God's mighty deliverance, which is really getting out of Egypt, but also his persevering grace, how to survive in a desert for 40 years, and your sandals don't even wear out. So he, he understood the deliverance of God, but also the provision of God. And for, for us, in our own life, we need both those things too, don't we? We need the deliverance of God, not just our salvation, but Delivering us from trial after trial after situation after difficult season after what a family problem, whatever it may be. We need the deliverance of God, but also the perseverance and protection of God through seasons. Like it's kind of a, a fire suit for getting through these kind of things. And so he had that perspective. But all throughout Joshua's life, up until this point, and you can see him in numerous places. If you go back and read Genesis through uh, Exodus, well, he doesn't show up in Genesis, but if you read Exodus through De Deuteronomy, from Exodus through Deuteronomy, the Lord has used Joshua in many other places already, uh, serving alongside Moses uh, to lead battles, like against the Amalekites, for example, to serve and assist uh, Moses all the way from even coming out and being out by Moses' tent when Moses is praying to the Lord uh, from his youth. Uh, he was serving Moses as, as a young man. Uh, he was serving Moses all the way from his youth. Uh, his name was changed. Um, Moses changed his name. Obviously, God told Moses to change his name, but Moses changed his name. His name was originally was Hosea, uh, which means salvation. And Joshua um, or Moses changed his name to Yehoshua. Yehoshua, which means the Lord saves. So his name, his given name was salvation, and Moses changed it to the Lord saves. Uh, he was a man filled with the Holy Spirit, tells us this um, in the Pentateuch. He was filled with wisdom, uh, and he fully followed the Lord. That was the, that was the testimony of Moses written about Joshua, that he was a man that fully followed the Lord. Uh, he had already had a really full life serving Moses as he's approaching 90. Wouldn't you say, I mean, I'm only 55, and, and I feel like I've had a pretty full life compared to when I was 10. 
Uh, but uh, he is approaching 90. He's already had a really full life serving the Lord and serving uh, as Moses' assistant. And yet, ultimately, here God calls him to new steps. Now, I was thinking about this today. I recognize, now, in the book of Genesis, the lifespans of people before the flood uh, were all the way to 969 years of Methuselah. And so you had these seven, eight, nine hundred year lives before the flood. And after the flood, it, it descends from Noah. You know, he, he's the last one that has this incredibly long lifespan. And then his sons go down. And, uh, but by the time you get here to Moses and, and, and Joshua, living to be 110, 120, the life expectancy was still, if you were healthy, uh, was still a little bit higher than what we find today. I mean, but even still, 110 and 120 were really high for that period. So even if you want to say that 90 then was equivalent to, let's say, 70 now. That makes sense? I'm just throwing out, I mean, if 90 was kind of equivalent to 70 now, if God called you to lead an entire nation at 70, hold on, we have a president doing it. No, that's all... Um, <laughs> I think I'd put Joshua up against Trump and Biden. That's just, I'm just putting that out there. I, I'll take him at 110 over any of our folks, but, uh, but anyway. But if, I mean, for most people, this is a public debate in our country right now. For most people, they're thinking about retiring, you know, they start thinking about, not saying that they do retire, but a lot of people start thinking about it at least around 60, and they mull it over for the next decade. But usually around 70, they're not taking on the biggest thing they've ever taken on. And God calls them at 90, or they're about 90, not quite 90, but he's approaching 90. Um, and he's still going to have 20 additional years. So he's going to live to be 110, so he's got 20 plus. Uh, we don't know the exact number here, but he'll have a 20 plus additional years to fulfill some of the most critical plans that God had for him, and more specifically, that God had for Israel. The promised land was given, to, that promise was to Abraham 400 some years earlier, about 440 years earlier at that point. So he's got this 20 years left in the last 20 some years of his life to fulfill this gigantic piece of the puzzle of what God is doing in the nation of Israel. And I believe God I take from that, uh, again, if, if 90 is kind of equivalent to 70, uh, I believe God has much more for most of us, if not all of us. And I don't know, again, when God calls you home, you know, it's different for different people, but assuming God gives you five more years, 10 more years, 15, 20, I don't know, 30 years, uh, we've got adults of different age in this room, uh, most of the kids are out in the other uh, in the in the modulars, but for most of the adults in this room, for whatever years you have left, I believe God has more, a lot more that He wants and desires to accomplish in us than we think. When we look at people in the Bible, we look at and say, "Well, man, they just kind of just kept pouring it out, and God kept pouring it in. They kept pouring it out, and God kept pouring it in." Mo uh, so the Lord tells Joshua here, um, he tells him to cross uh, this Jordan, uh, cross over this Jordan, uh, 
across the river, which is coming from Moab. Uh, they're in Moab at this point. They're in the plains of Moab. So to cross from Moab, which is modern-day Jordan. So Jordan, you know, if you look on a map today, modern-day Jordan, uh, over the Jordan into Canaan. Just as Moses had crossed the Red Sea, they're going to cross the Jordan. There's going to be some following, some similar footsteps. And God would give the land to the tribes of Israel, the 12 tribes, uh, but they were going to have to follow Joshua by faith. He was going to have to lead, but they were going to have to follow. Uh, verse 3, remember it says, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you as I said to Moses. This is quite a promise. Every single place your foot touches is going to be yours. Verse 4, he says, From the wilderness of this Lebanon... As far as the great river, to the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, the great sea, which is the Mediterranean Sea, going where the sun sets in the west, so the going down to the sun shall be your territory. So the breadth of the land that God promised to Abraham, and he reiterates here, is far more, those of you that have studied the Bible and you've studied history, you know that this is far more land than Israel has ever possessed. Even under Solomon, where the, the kingdom reached its highest uh, you know, kind of land acquisition. Uh, but what, go, what, what he promised to Joshua goes all the, all the way back to what he promised Abraham. So I put it up on the map. Uh, that is the land that God just describes. Everything inside the red line there. All the way over to the Nile River, part of Egypt. Uh, basically, going back to they had the land of Goshen. And uh, under Joseph and Jacob and them and the family come down, uh, where kind of they were they had to go over the Red Sea, which I believe was not on the Sinai Peninsula, but across into the Arabian uh, into the Arabian Peninsula, um, because Sinai Peninsula was part of Egypt anyway. But the Arabian Peninsula, the wilderness of Zin and all that area over there, uh, all the way up, and you can see to the River Euphrates and all the way up to the top of Lebanon, uh, just to the, uh, so Turkey's just above there. A much bigger piece of land. Uh, and you think there's controversy in Israel having what they have today? Imagine if they <laughs> were to say, hey, we've been looking at the uh, Bible map and we actually have some territory we're going to have to take back. Uh, but Israel has never launched to take territory. They've only defended themselves. And when they've defended themselves, that's when they acquired land. They've never gone on an offensive They've always been on a defensive, and they happen to beat when they're surrounded by many nations every time, and it'll happen again. Uh, they'll be surrounded by the nations. But that's what Israel will have in the millennium reign of Christ. God will, all that land uh, will belong to Israel. Verse 5, because they never did accomplish this. Uh, no man shall be able to stand before you at all the days of your life as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Uh, God protected, um, uh, well, first of all, uh, what a promise here um, to Joshua that no man's going to be able to stand against him. He's approaching 90. No man's going to be able to touch him all the days of his life. The, 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 the nations of Canaan have giants. They have mighty, powerful warriors. They have many men that are younger and stronger. Now, Joshua is quite the warrior in his younger days, but they have many men that, uh, that are younger and stronger than Joshua, and God says, not a one of them will be able to touch you. That's a pretty, pretty confidence-building statement from God. Not a man in all of Canaan will be able to stand against you. 
Not the kings, not their navy seals. They didn't have those, you know, but I mean, not their fiercest warriors, not a single man. Moses had enemies on the outside from the nations, and he had enemies on the inside, people that tried to come against him, and they all fell by the wayside, and Moses was left standing. Matter of fact, at 120, it says his eyes were as good as a young man. It said, basically, God says, it's your time to come home, because Moses could have kept right on rolling. He had so much of the power of God on his life. And God's like, as I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you in the exact same way. And the only reason he lives to be 110 is because God cuts it off there. He certainly, uh, with this kind of hand of the Lord upon him, uh, could have gone as long as God wanted him to. But he's going to have the... Uh, but what he says is, as I was with Moses, I will be with you. This is the promise of God's power, the promise of God's presence. And this is restated because he says, uh, I will not leave you nor forsake you at the end of verse 5. And many of you probably have read this. It's restated in the book of Hebrews. So if you're in Hebrews chapter 13, and by the way, I double and triple checked all my verses. Uh, after Sunday when I had uh, John 14, 6, when it was supposed to be John 14, 26, uh, I, I type everything out in, in, in my Word documents, and I, but, but I'll cut and paste scriptures, just scriptures. And if I missed a two, it was like, I don't want to hurt Tawan, it was like I felt like I missed an extra point. You know, uh, you know like, like the kicker didn't mean to, I, I didn't mean to, uh, to miss the two and not stick the two in there. And I had people like looking at me, hold on, this is John 14, this is John 14, 6, this is not, I'm the way, the truth, and life. That's not the same verse. So I doubled and triple checked it, but um, it was a good lesson for me to double and triple check so the, uh, all these verses should be accurate, certainly um, unintentional, but but he says uh, in the New Testament, this is such a great passage, uh, and the writer of Hebrews applies it to Jesus now, that Jesus is saying to us, the flock, the sheep, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Do you believe that? That just like in Israel, he would not leave Israel nor forsake them, which was specific here to Joshua and then Joshua to the people. But then he tells us, New Testament saints, disciples, uh, sheep of our good shepherd, that he will never leave or forsake us, uh, which is how we know that these promises were not only to Joshua, but they extend, and this is where we talked about this is first and foremost to Israel, but it has application well beyond Israel. Why? Because Hebrews 13.5 is written to us, the church. Make sense? So it was written then, but it extends to the whole family of God and extends to the bride of Christ and that he will not leave or forsake us, promises made to us in our spiritual steps and our spiritual battles, because we're not called to acquire land. We don't have a kingdom now theology, and hey, we're going to gather an army and start crusades and take, you know, all that stuff. That was, uh, you know, popes did that kind of stuff, but the real followers of Jesus, uh, we've been called to spiritual battles to take uh, heavenly um, battles or, or, or to fight heavenly battles. Um, in verses 6 through 9, and again, we're not going to cover verses 7 through 9 tonight, but in verses 6 through 9, and we'll look at this more in the coming weeks, uh, the promises of verse 5, the promises of verse 5, um, where he says, uh, no man shall be able to stand against you, I will be with you all the, uh, all the days of your life, uh, I will not leave you nor forsake you, all the promises of verse 5 are conditional. In that, and that's where it starts with verse 6 through 9, conditional in that they require obedience, adherence, 
and steps of faith and courage. God says, if you do what I tell you to do, no one can stand against you. If you go where I tell you to go, you'll win every battle. But if you balk, then different outcomes. But if you'll go forward, um, those of you that are parents, um, whether it was teaching your kid to ride a bike the very first time, or, you know, I, I don't know, just something where you had to say, just grab my hand, I will not let go. I hope you prove trustworthy to your toddler or to your kids, you know. Um, every now and then it does fail. I see this on America's Funny Home Videos. The parent was supposed to do X or Y, and it was a total fail. The kid's like, I'll never trust you again. But God doesn't mess up like that. He doesn't even have a, he doesn't even have a moment where he looked away for the wrong second, and that's when you creamed off your bike or something like that. But, um, but for the most part, I can look back and say, you know, certain people in my life, that I could trust, say, hey, if you do this, I'll be with you. And I can look back and say, you know, they could be trustworthy, trusted, but God can be far more trusted. So it is conditional. God says, I'm going to do this, but you're going to have to obey me. You're going to have to trust me. You're going to have to do what I have said. And, and Joshua will prove in his life that this will work. Other people will prove in their life that it didn't because conditionally they decided no, I've done this long enough, I want to do it my own way. Which is why people just bail and just, hey, so-and-so used to follow Christ, now they just walked away. And so uh, conditionally, God says, hey, you stay right here and doing it my way. Uh, but we often want God, um, it's going to require adherence, it's going to require faith and trust. We often want God to do things for us, but a big, big, big portion of our walk with Jesus is God doing things through us, not just for us. Now, ultimately, even what he does through us is a dimension of for us. I get that. But you still have to take those steps. That's why Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And this verse is really misused a lot of times, uh, way, way too often used for scoring touchdowns and shooting three-pointers and things like that. That's not, uh, athletes have it on their shoes and under their, it, it, that's not what the verse is for. It's, it's not in any way what the verse is for. It, it, it's actually the most, the most direct context of that verse is I can die to myself. I have the power now to die to self, which is incredibly hard for us in our flesh. Uh, but it goes beyond that, not just dying to ourselves. Um, when it says all things through Christ, all things are very often hard things and tedious things and tiring things. And they are things that question, that cause us to question, can we even do it? Um, things that require faith, things that require dying to ourselves and being sacrificial, things that require faith and trust uh, that the will of God uh, is something we can bank on and that, uh, that he'll help us as we trust and obey. Uh, finally, verse 6 here, uh, our last verse of the evening, verse 6, uh, be strong and of good courage for uh, to this people you shall divide an inheritance uh, as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. This first command, be strong and of good courage uh, it's the one we're going to close with. As I mentioned on Sunday, uh, if there is no fear, no such thing as fear, of course there is, if there's no such thing as fear and no such thing as uncertainty, there'd be no need for courage. 
no need for courage. Uh, I don't need courage when I'm changing channels on a TV. It's, it's a mundane, and no courage required. Click, no courage required for that. Um, real courage is in the face of situations that don't look or seem favorable. The odds look bad, or, or they just don't see, it doesn't look like an easy victory. It doesn't look like an easy win. It looks like tough, difficult, not going to work. That's where courage and faith is needed. But Joshua, here he is approaching 90. He needed this command from the Lord. He needed God to say, Joshua, literal voice of God, be strong, be of good courage. Even if he didn't know he needed to hear that from God, he needed to hear that from God. Even with all the obedience of his past, he needed to hear that. All of his prior steps of courage, he still needed to hear it. He still needed this command. We need this command. Amen? I need this command. New strength and new courage is required for new days. Does that make sense? New strength and new courage is required for new days. Because every day is a new day. I mean, God knows where the days are going to end. But as long as we have new days, we need new strength and new courage. But God telling us, this is hopefully, I want to finish with a really good encouragement from this passage. But God telling us to be strong and courageous is in and itself courage giving. Does that make sense? If he tells you to be strong and courageous, that in and of itself is courage giving. Why? Because if he's telling us to do it, he's telling us we can. Because we immediately say, I can't do that. We start that as a kids. You know, as kids, we immediately say, I can't do it. Your homework. You're not the first to ever have to tackle this. Thousands of years of kids had to tackle the same math equation. I can't do it. Right, you know. um, but if God's telling us to do it, he's telling us we can do it in him. Ephesians 6.10. Again, just like all things through Christ. Ephesians 6.10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. But if God says... I want you to do this. You don't have to worry if you can accomplish it. You absolutely can. If God says, hey, uh, get on a plane right now and fly to there. Well, God, that'll never work. Do I, do I have control of this or do you have control of this? And so I know for me, when I was still in a career that I really liked, I really liked my prior career. I thought I was doing well at it. And God says, I want you to leave that and go into full-time ministry. I'm like, I don't think this is going to work. I felt like Peter, uh, Lord, uh, you know, I didn't have a sheet or anything like that, but, you know, I, I could, I make better money, I can, I can help more missionaries, I can do this, I can do that. I, I miss my dialogue, at least in my mind, I dare not have it sometimes with the Lord, but I think it looks like the rest of y'all do. God, like, picks that thought and says, this is what you're saying. You're saying you don't trust me. Chuck Swindoll said, alleged impossibilities are opportunities for our capacities to be stretched. Alleged impossibilities. There's nothing impossible. With God, all things are possible. So if he tells you, I want you to do this or that, he, and if he says, be of good courage, Joshua, just go forward. And by the way, stretched servants of God are going to keep getting stretched. If you are a stretched servant, you're going to keep getting stretched. And you're going to help others be stretched because they're going to get stretched, but you're going to help them 
You're going to be encouragement to them. Now, the command here is really simple. Be strong and have good courage. Really simple, but not easy. Really simple. Say, hey, just be strong and courageous. Now, when God tells me that, I feel a whole lot better than someone else telling me that. I have had people tell me that. I'm like, yeah, I don't. you've done this eight million times. But it's not easy, and here's why, but here's why it's simple. Uh, it is simple in this sense. Don't wait for strength and courage if God's commanded it. Just take the steps. Going back to Acts chapter 10, doubting nothing. Don't doubt it. Just take the steps. The first toe forward is, is a great, you know, just, just that little, even if you have to take baby steps, at least you're going the right direction. Uh, and this being strong and courageous, if, if God says to do it, uh, how, do you just, how do you just make yourself strong and courageous? Well, you can't just make yourself strong and courageous. But what it is, it's an inward belief in God. And it's an inward resolve that what God said is true. And so I'm going to trust him and take, even if it's one toe forward and the next four toes following uh, forward. And, and, and then you have the, this power of the assurance of the Holy Spirit that, that do it again. Just keep... You know, uh, your, your feet might be, your knees might be knocking going over that Jordan, thinking, what's on the other side? Giants, I'm not going to make it. I've had pe- we've had people on mission trips look this way, white as a ghost. Or going into the prison system, saying, uh, but God says, just go forward. Understand that Satan tells us, and he will tell us, and he'll tell us many more times, that we're going to fall, that we're going to fail, that we're going to flounder, or worse. And by the way, because we're imperfect, we're going to have failures. I'm not talking about sin failures. I'm talking about just, you know, me missing a two on, on, a, on a slide. You're going, to have, you're going to have failures, big ones, way bigger ones than that. You're going to have big failures that you failed your kids and it wasn't intentional. You totally forgot an important date. I thought you loved me, right? I'm an imperfect human being. That's what you'll end up saying. I am not God. I can't even remember my own important dates. How am I going to remember all your important dates? And these things happen. You will fail people, but if you are doing it the best you can and you're doing it unto the Lord, Jesus would rather have us fail trying to do the right thing than not fail doing anything or doing nothing at all. And you can go read the parable of the talents on proof of that, Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. Jesus says, why did you not at least get me some in return on the investment? I'd rather you failed a few times. I'm not talking about sin fail. I'm just talking about we're imperfect. We're not going to do it right. We're going to say the wrong thing. And we, we didn't, you ever like go to encourage someone, you say the wrong thing and it, the whole thing blows up? You're like, here I was just trying to help. God's like, that's okay, I'll, I'll mend that. Matter of fact, a lot of times, later on, you'll have a better relationship because he gets other things out, and everything, but it's not easy in the process, is it? Understand, and we bring this to a close, our steps are not to conquer land. We're not called to conquer land, but to conquer fears and apathy and our desire for leisure, for comfort, leisure and comfort, especially in the society we live in. That are, uh, some of the things that hold us back in, in the United States don't even compute to our brothers and sisters in other countries. They cannot understand the things that hold us back. It doesn't even compute. We'll look more of that uh, in, in next week or the week after next. Uh, but we're not taking on Canaanite nations, but we are taking on spiritual forces of wickedness. And we're taking them on through prayer, through the preaching of God's word, through discipleship, 
through serving and giving of ourselves, through evangelism, both personal and doing it together. But our steps are to be in and by the Holy Spirit. Not with weapons, not with swords, not with slingshots and bow and arrows, but to be in and by the Holy Spirit. And we're to push aside our fears, because we all have fears, and to push aside our reservations and to push aside, uh, I'm not good at this, I'm not tall enough, good enough, skilled enough, whatever, and just do whatever God's commanded in His Word and in our life. And just a closing note from the latter half of uh, verse 6, he says, and this people will, you'll divide as an inheritance for the land when we take steps of courage. Whether your parents, grandparents, or you have a ministry that you oversee, when we take, take steps of courage and obedience, we'll be blessed. But other people will benefit in the process. Isn't that good to know? Other people are going to benefit in the process. Fear is contagious, but so is courage. Fear is contagious. We have a country that was spreading fear like wildfire a couple of years ago. And they're still trying to spread fear. And uh, I hope that in the middle of a country that tries to spread fear and tries to divide everybody and pit everybody against each other and all this stuff and spreading fear and dread, because and, 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 I'm not afraid of the end times. I know Jesus is going to come back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So uh, bring it on in some respects. I'm not wanting that, but I'm simply saying I'm not, I, we, we should not be afraid. So if fear is contagious. So is courage. That's what we want to, one of the things that we want to glean from this, and not glean from this, but actually walk in it. And if nobody else goes with us, Jesus says, I won't leave you for a second. You say that and say, no one else wants to go with me. Jesus, I'll go with you. If Joshua said, Lord, I'm going to go across the Jordan, no one else is going with him, guess what would have happened? God says, then it's me and you. He would have taken out all the nations, just him and Joshua. And made a great nation. He said, Moses, I'll, I'll wipe them all out and make a great nation out of you. I don't need their help. So if nobody else will go, but I hope we will go together. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word tonight. And Lord, we pray that uh, you would uh, just encourage us, not just through these verses, but as we go through these 24 chapters. Uh, we pray, Lord, that uh, we would learn more of your faithfulness. And, Lord, that we would become more trusting, uh, obedient, more submissive in our spirit to you, uh, but also, Lord, more encouraging to one another. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all have a great night. Enjoy the rest of your Valentine's.